Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. So excited to join you today. We've got an incredible show for you today. We're going to start the discussion with election integrity. We're going to move on over to give you an update on the economy, which a lot of people have big concerns about. A lot of us struggling to meet the grocery bill, the gas bill, other bills. And then we'll wrap up with a story that one of my colleagues, Nick Jeeves, broke this morning on Just the News about why censorship is flourishing in big tech and the revolving door between U.S. intelligence agencies and big tech that Nick found through a great enterprising work that he did on Just the News. So that is our show today. We're going to start off with the former head of the Election Integrity Unit at Arizona's Attorney General's Office. Jennifer Wright is an expert on the law in Arizona, one of the states that seems to have one of the biggest struggles with making it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And she joins us. She's going to tell us what she knows about the state of election integrity, what needs to be done to make the state better, to clean up some of the problems we've seen in Maricopa County, Pinal County, Yuma County, what cases were left behind for Chris Mays, and by the way, her battle with a news organization that forced some sweeping corrections at Arizona Central, the Arizona Republic website, a really significant amount of corrections made to a story that accused her of being fired by Chris Mays, the new attorney general, when in fact she had resigned long before Chris Mays took over. A really big set of stories. So Jennifer Wright's going to kick us off with a great discussion about election integrity. Then we're going to go over and talk to our good friend, Steve Moore, one of the brightest minds in all of economic policy. He'll tell us what's right and wrong about the economy, how to read the latest data, what's coming, is there a reckoning coming for this economy or not? And then Nick Jeeves will join us to talk about the incredible pipeline, more than 200 U.S. intelligence workers have migrated from a federal spy and law enforcement agencies like the FBI, DHS, NSA, to big tech companies, many of them in the positions surrounding the censorship efforts, the quality control efforts at these big tech where Americans' opinions and thoughts have been censored. So Nick Jeeves will wrap up the show today. That's a heck of a lineup. We shouldn't waste much time getting to it. So we'll have a quick word from our great advertisers, sponsors, and partners, and then we'll kick the show off with Jennifer Wright, the former head of election integrity for the Arizona Attorney General's Office. Big interview. First time she's been on the show. A lot to say. We'll have that right after these messages. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way 
nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook a, a vegetable dinners and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As you know, we at Just the News cover election integrity really aggressively. And one of the focal points of our coverage has been Arizona, really going back several years, all the way back to 2012. Clearly a pattern of problems in Maricopa County. Our next guest, well, she led the election integrity unit for the Attorney General's office in Arizona under Attorney General Mark Brnovich. And now she has moved over to join the legal team of Attorney General nominee Abe Hamaday as he pursues an appeal in his effort to overturn the election results because of the problems that have been detected. Joining us right now is Jennifer Wright. Jennifer, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate you having me on to discuss this important issue. Well, we're pretty lucky. You're one of the best experts on Arizona law. You oversaw the unit. When you step back at 30,000 feet, how do you look at the state of Arizona's elections? I know it was one of the early, early voting states. It's had it for a while. How do you grade its ability to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat? Well, I think they've made it very easy to vote, and I would like to say they've made it hard to cheat. Um, But I think there's some areas of improvement that we should look at. Um, A lot of people don't know that I've been in the election integrity space for well more than a decade, that I, you know, raised some concerns about some issues that I saw in Yuma in 2010. So this has been something that I've long held as a, as a, as an issue of importance because I believe that fundamentally 95% of election is voter confidence in the outcome of the elections. And we've been seeing really that voter confidence erode since um, Bush v. Gore. So this is really a 20 plus year degradation in people's respect and trust of our election processes. And that needs to be corrected. 
There have really been two problem childs when we go out and cover issues. And from a news perspective, Yuma has had all sorts of issues of corruption and ballot harvesting and other things going on. And then there seems to be a, a chronic level of incompetence in Maricopa County. Can you break those down from a high level about what goes on in each of those two counties and why those are two eyesores still on the face of Arizona's election record? Well, when you look at Yuma, really the investigation that I was sent to do on behalf of the Republican Party in 2010 regarding some early ballot uh, issues, um, the things that I saw in 2010 really continued because there was no stopgap. There was nothing that stopped the, the things that, were, that I saw that I witnessed in 2010 well before my time in the Attorney General's office. And nothing really fixed that. I think that, you know, in 2020, following um, the, the video footage that, that evidenced that there was some intentional, potentially intentional uh, ballot harvesting going on. And in fact, in fact, I believe our criminal division, which I did not head up and I did not participate in any investigations on the criminal side, that they ended up convicting some individuals from Yuma uh, for ballot harvesting where they were actually, it appeared and this was hard to prove, it appears that they were marking, actually marking the people's ballots for them. Um, and again, that's, that's a really high bar to prove, uh, you know, DNA evidence and all that that you have to get. Um, so I'm not sure that they convicted on the marking of the ballots, but, you know, it was definitely in the video. It appears that that's what they were doing. And I think that that's something that, that the investigative team looked at. So that's Yuma. And in Maricopa, we've just seen a, you know, under Helen Purcell, she did, I think she ran a very, you know, uh, tight office that she was a you know a, a great administrator I think that there were some processes and procedures and some people in place that have been um, you know have that have made it less um, transparent and less um, I don't know maybe, I, I'd hate to say the word secure but I think there's certainly been you know we saw yesterday in the Senate testimony um, that was provided about some concerns raised about signature verification that may be going on in in, in Maricopa County. And, and these kinds of issues need to be addressed because people are starting to, to lose confidence. And we lose confidence, that's when our whole structure of society breaks down. And that is that there's international study after international study after international study that talk about when voters lose, constant, lose confidence in the outcome of elections, that dire things happen in the country. And that's not what we want in this country. So we need um, transparency and accountability, and we need to address these issues head on and restore confidence so that people feel good when they vote. Yeah, that confidence has been going down to you see it in the polling data. There is a big case that you're now involved with as a private attorney helping Abe Hamaday. The appeal really depends on the proof of what should have been allowed into the first trial that wasn't allowed in. Tell us what was withheld from that first trial that might change a lot of minds if people knew what was in there. Yeah, so to clarify, we're not asking, we're not appealing, we're actually asking, we have filed a motion for a new trial. And this is premised on the fact that the Secretary of State's counsel uh, was aware through the recount process, and the Secretary of State herself was aware that there were problems in Pinal County that specifically were the problems that we, that Abe raised in his case that, that he took to trial on December 23rd. So on or about December 21st, uh, Pinal County submitted a report to the Secretary of State's office indicating that their machines had misread ballots and that one of the issues was that they were misreading undervotes, like actually cast, uh, they were misreading validly cast votes as undervotes. And so during the recount process, they corrected these errors 
and their margin changed from, you know, so, so at, before, because of Pinal County, uh, Abe was up or down 511, but because of the mistakes that happened in Pinal County, he's now only down 280. So there was a huge delta shift um, from Pinal. And specifically, that was the issue raised by Abe's counsel on, at the December 23rd trial was that they believe, and they did find that under votes, uh, that, that, that the machines read ballots as having no vote in the attorney general race, but upon inspection, they found that there were actually validly cast votes that were somehow missed by the machines. So that was the issue at trial, and they had Abe's team was given a very limited sample to look at for for votes that had been deemed undervotes. And now, looking more closely at what happened in Pinal, it, it confirms the suspicion and the issues that were addressed in trial. That information was known to the secretary before trial. She did not provide information that in fact, the concerns we raised were happening at least in one county. Um, and we believe that, that that there alone is motions for a new trial. We think that they, that lacked candor to the court, that if evidence was withheld. Um, and we believe that we need to retry this issue and look closely at every single ballot that had an undervote. There's been some con confusion that we're asking for a full hand recount of all ballots in Arizona. We're not. We're looking. We want to look at those undervoted ballots. Right. And the idea that the secretary is now the governor is pretty troubling because the behavior that is alleged in this court filing is kind of a cover up, right? Unknowing and willful withholding of information that would have been relevant to this case. How is that going to be viewed in your mind by the court? I mean, how should the court look at that? You know, I can't, I don't want to speculate on how the court's going to look at it, but I think if I were a judge, I'd be fairly offended at the, and especially if you look at the responses that have been submitted by um, Mays' team and, and, and the secret, the new secretary's counsel, this idea that, that we were too little too late, that we didn't raise these issues early enough. We filed our motion for a new trial two business days after um, the, the team, and that, I shouldn't say we because I wasn't a part of it then, but they filed two business days after it was found out about the issues in Pinal County. So I'm not sure how we delayed or how the team delayed in bringing this case. So I think that I'm, I'm hopeful that the judge is going to see through this, um, you know, this, this, yeah, you know, they, they're, they're basically saying there's nothing to see here. Move on. This is over. We shouldn't look any further. And that is the absolute opposite thing we should do when we need transparency and accountability so that we can heal some of these wounds that people have been feeling regarding voter integrity. Now, you have been battling with some of the news media, particularly the Arizona Central, over a story that Chris Mays is associated with. Tell us a little bit about the corrections that have already been forced on that and what you intend to do to get the record corrected for the Arizona public. So I was happily on vacation last week of, between Christmas and New Year's, and I was completely out of cell phone coverage. And as soon as I got into coverage, I wanted to check to see if, if how the recount went. And I had already told my boss before I left for for my trip that if, if there was no holdover administration and or if Abe did not win the recount, I'd be submitting my resignation effective immediately. And that's precisely what I did. I came back from vacation and I you know, had resigned and was thinking about what I'm going to do for the next few months and, and decide my future. I've had a lot of job offers, but I wasn't ready to dive into anything. I wanted to take some time off. And, uh, and then on Thursday, I think it was January 5th, there was an article in the newspaper saying that Chris Mays' first official act in office was firing Jennifer Wright. I'm like, wow, that's strange. That didn't happen. You know? <laughs> so, I'm like, I had no idea that this, this purported incident occurred. 
And the thing that's so insidious about it is that it was a blatant, flat-out lie. And, and I immediately contacted um, the Republic and let them know and provided all of my documentation. And they sat on that story for more than a week until I had an attorney write a letter to Chris Mays' administration because even if, this, first of all, the story isn't true, but even if it were true, it violates Arizona personnel code for her to release to the public the terms and conditions of my departure from, from my employment. That's, that's a blatant violation of Arizona employment code. So, you know, we sent a letter and then right after that, Chris Mays notified the Arizona Republic that they, they actually recanted everything. They said that, well, we wanted this to happen, but we're not sure if it did happen. And so even with that recanting, the, the story is still up and it still seems to suggest that I was fired or even if I wasn't, you know, I should have been and that should make the story newsworthy. And it's like, it's really not newsworthy. Chris Mays had a vision for the division that didn't, wasn't, you know, I, that she had publicly stated that didn't match my vision. And I didn't want to work for her and she didn't want me to work for her. And so it's not, it's an odd story. Like we didn't want to work with each other. And that, that was the case for everybody on my floor. I worked in the solicitor general's office and not one person or maybe one has remained, but pretty much everybody left before Chris Mays took office. That's a normal and ordinary course of business for a division like the solicitor general's office. It is a pretty large correction. I'll tell you that. The top of the story is a whole giant correction. I encourage people to go take a look at that. Another sign of how often the media gets stories wrong. As you look out now, and Abe Hamaday's case will work its way through the courts. We'll find out whether he gets a new trial or not. What are the most important things that can be done by the legislature, by the governor, by the secretary of state, the attorney general, to restore that confidence that seems to be waning in Arizona elections and make sure that 2024 is an election that people have greater confidence. What's your checklist of the most important things that need to be done? Well, the most important thing to be done is transparency and accountability. So I do applaud Maricopa County for, um, for naming a, a former Supreme Court justice to try to look into what happened regarding the printers. I, I pray that that is an honest endeavor and that it's, that it provides the kind of accountability and accuracy and, and accurate information and transparency that we need. Um, I was really pleased to see how swiftly Pinal County took care of these issues, both in the primary and in the general election. They've made significant changes, including, you know, after the primary issues, they let go the election uh, director that clearly was in over his head in his job. And it's always sad to see someone lose their job, but people need to see that, that these issues are taken seriously and not swept under the rug. So I'd like to see all of these issues resolved, you know, publicly, transparently, and that there's accountability. So if there is a system process person issue that is to blame, that it is remo removed or corrected. Uh, and that's the only way we get to the point where people restore trust. And as long as they keep sweeping things under the rug and claiming there's nothing to see here, the more people are going to ask questions. Yeah, well, that is clearly it. Transparency is the best antiseptic. Last question. Your old office had, I think, by public accounts, at least four major ongoing election integrity investigations. Can you give us an overview of what is, has been left behind by the new attorney general that we should all be watching for? Well, so I don't know. These are going to be criminal investigations because as far as I know, I didn't have any remaining uh, civil investigations and I did not work directly in the criminal division. But based off of Chris Mays' um, comments, 
it appears that she's considering uh, dropping these investigations. And what I know of the kind of investigations that the criminal division was looking at, these were people who voted in more than one jurisdiction. These are people who voted maybe a family member's ballot. These are people who were convicted felons that voted. These are people that, for instance, there, I believe there's an ongoing investigation in Yuma still and uh, regarding more concerns about the potential ballot harvesting operation. So if these, if these criminal cases are dropped, uh, I think that does not bode well for our state because these are the, we need to have accountability when people cheat the system. And this is giving them a free pass if she drops these cases. And adds to that narrative of that we shouldn't trust our elections anymore. And that's exactly what we're trying to stamp out, the opposite of that. So what a great honor to have you on. Jennifer, what's the best way for people to follow the work that you're doing? You know, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, it's at Jen W E S Q. So at Jen W E S Q. And I'm I'm uh, a prolific Twitterer and probably spend too much time there. So if you want to know anything and everything about me, it's, I'm an open book. Yeah, I think that's really important. You've done such important work for a long time to restore confidence in elections. And all of us watching Arizona and wondering, will 2024 be a better year? Uh, we're going to be following your work to make sure that we have the latest information. So thanks so much for joining us. Great honor to have you on today. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Same here. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with The Economist, Steve Moore, to talk about the state of the economy right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest, well, he doesn't really need much introduction. One of the most important minds in all of the economy and financial policy in the world, former advisor to President Trump on economic policy. He is Steve Moore. Steve, great to have you back on the show. Hi, John. Great to be with you. So I want to ask you a little bit. In the last 20 years, tech layoffs are usually a warning sign that a recession or hard economic times are ahead. They're coming by the tens of thousands now. Is there a tech bubble? And is that the sign of a larger recession ahead of us? Well, I mean, the answer to the first question is, you know, there absolutely has been a tech bubble. Um, you know, you're looking at um, the big five or six, uh, you know, tech companies, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Google, um, Twitter, uh, and others have lost about a trillion dollars of market cap in the last year. So this is, you know, a gigantic um, contraction of these companies. And then, of course, in recent month or two, you've seen, I, I think about, you know, if you combine these six or seven big companies, tech companies, about, you know, 75,000 layoffs. So these are, you know, really large um, contractions. Uh, and so, um, 
you know, whether they've hit bo- the big question, of course, is whether they've hit bottom. And, you know, I saw um, just uh, today, I think it was um, Google is investing. Was it Google is investing a huge amount in this new um, chat uh so, you know, uh, but they have uh, they have um, certainly contracted. And I think part of the problem, John, something that you and I have talked about is, you know, what kind of a, an industry, um, you know, insults half of their um, customers? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just bad. You know, putting politics aside, it's a stupid business model to, to you know, to belittle uh, and drive away half of your customers as, as has happened with big tech because of their crazy left-wing orientation. And so um, I think that accounts for a bit of it. You know, there's so much into the ESG stuff that, you know, conservatives like you and I, you know, we don't want to hear about that. We don't, that's not what makes us tick. And so I think uh, big, big tech has been kind of out of touch with real America. Yeah, they really are. The disconnect is really, really pretty remarkable. The president has a much more rosy portrayal of his economy right now than most other economists. Uh, even people like Larry Summers continue to raise the red flag. You do as well. How big is the gulf between what Biden says the economy is doing versus what the actual underlying statistics show? Well, John, let me kind of make a confession because I've been in this business for 35 years. And uh, this I have to just confess, this, this economy now mystifies me, <laughs> you know, how it's holding up. And it has held up, you know, and look, last year was a not a good year for the economy, but it wasn't any kind of deep, you know, recession. Uh, and so um, it's it's just hard for me to figure where this economy is headed right now. Now, the good news is that inflation is falling, no question about it. You know, we've seen inflation go from, you know, nine to 10 percent in the summer to now it's down, in my opinion, to probably about you know, we're, we have inflation about four or five percent. And in fact, some of my friends who are very solid economists think that, you know, they're almost more worried now about a deflation than an inflation. So uh, and, 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 you know, the, the job markets, uh, you know, continue to hold up to my surprise, you know, that jobs are still out there, notwithstanding what we just talked about with respect to the, um, you know, the tech industry, which is absolutely contracting. So I'm I'm nervous about making any kind of definitive predictions about where we're headed. I, do I think that we a lot of things are going wrong in this country from a policy point of view? Absolutely. I mean, we've the debt I think is the cancer cell right now in our economy, and you know, very few people in Washington seem to be very concerned about it. And Biden is basically saying. That, he doesn't want to do anything about it. You know, it's a question of. So I guess the, the way I would put it for your you know, listeners is I do think we're going to face a financial crisis if this continues much longer, uh, whether that financial crisis is going to happen six weeks from now or six months from now or three years from now. It's, I can't predict that, but it is uh, it is a precarious economy right now. It is uh, it is held up pretty decently. Um, but I, I don't know. I, and whether, and I'm not going to say that we're going to have a recession in 2023 because, uh, even though most of the leading economic indicators are pointing South right now, there is a kind of natural resilience to the American economy that I wouldn't discount. So a reckoning is ahead, but it's not clear when, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's a good way to describe it. And look, I mean, you know, what is the old saying that economists have predicted, you know, 10 of the last four recessions. So, um, you know, they tend to be more on the pessimistic side. Um, and, uh, yeah, now look, let me just say one thing in a positive note. 
if you look over the last 50 or 60 years, you know, when you've had divided government, you know, the economy has generally done pretty well. So, you know, the most important thing that's happened in the last six months is that Biden no longer has a blank check. You know, he there is a check and balance in the fact that the Republicans have a, albeit a very, very slim majority in the House, but they do. So, you know, I think that the market at least thinks that the really horrific things that Biden did in his first two years of spending and borrowing for, you know, $0.5 trillion and all the massive new regulations and the uh, all of those things, those are coming to an end. And that's a that's a positive thing. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. The debt ceiling is the first real big fight for Kevin McCarthy as speaker. The White House has dug into a clean bill or nothing. How does this play out? And what advice would you give Republicans on how to play their hand going into this? Well, John, I feel really strongly about this. And so I think Republicans cannot blink here. I think they have to stand on this rock of Gibraltar and say, we're not moving. You know, we're going we're not going to raise the debt ceiling until we have some kind of, uh, you know, budget deal that puts us on a more sane financial course. And uh, I think they have to make the case, look, we uh, that I just made to you that we are going to have a financial crisis in this country if we don't do something about this debt right now. There's not a day to lose. And so. And I saw a poll that just came out by Rasmussen. I don't know if you saw it, that, you know, most Americans agree with what I just said, that we, you know, they would even want to see a partial government shutdown if that's what it took to get, you know, some reductions in government spending and and on us, our, our country back on the path towards a balanced budget. So I think this is Republicans have to basically hold firm on this. The big question, John, is whether there are 218 Republicans out of the 200 and what do they have, 22, that will stick with that position. And that's a hard thing. I mean, I wouldn't want to be Kevin McCarthy right now. That's a, that's a tough thing to do to keep them all together. But yeah, but I hope they do because this is a, this is a moral fight. It is a fight that is um, good economics. And I think that the, if the Republicans frame this in the right way, I think that they will, um, prevail. And, and as someone who's followed fiscal policy, you know, that's my area of expertise for 35 years, you know, the only time we've ever really gotten major deals fiscal situation, whether it's going back to the Reagan years, when Bill Barack Obama was president, was when we used the debt ceiling as the kind of leverage to get um, a budget deal. So for Joe Biden to stand there like, oh, folding his arms, I'm That's ridiculous. That is completely financially irresponsible. And it's doubly financially irresponsible for the president of the United States to claim that somehow we're going to. I mean, what do you think that does to the bond market? We're not going to default on the debt. That's a shameful thing for this president to say. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty remarkable. Last question. China has given us some really interesting data lately. The population decline for the first time and ever slowing of the economy. What is the state of China's economy and how can it affect the global picture very quickly? Well, look, China is uh, a, a country that is, uh, you know, very uh, you know, very much in uh, demographic crisis right now. They have in what's called an inverted pyramid. They have too many old people and too many young working people. And in fact, you know, I saw a projection that, you know, if they stay on the course they're on, you know, within, you know, a couple of years, India will have a larger population than China. 
And at some point, you know, in the in the next 40 or 50 years, the United States would actually have a higher population than China does. So they, they have this, uh, you know, absurd and um, disgraceful and inhumane one child policy that is now really coming back to bite them in the ass. And then you've got a problem where their economy has really been growing much more slowly. And that's because they have moved towards a a centralized planned economy that, you know, doesn't we know from history that centrally planned economies don't work as well as free market economies. I just hope the United States retains our free market economy because that's the way to beat China. Yeah, that is the great challenge ahead with some of the democratic policies trying to rip us out of that that long path that we've been on. Steve, it's always a great honor. How do people keep in touch with all the great work you're doing on social media? What's your best coordinates? Well, John, the best thing for people to do is go to our website, Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and get our free economic hotline that we'll, uh, we'll send to you five mornings a week. Yeah, that is good stuff. All right, my friend, great to have you on. Thanks for the quick update, and we'll be sure to be in touch real soon. Thanks so much, John. Thank you. All right, folks, we'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As I mentioned at the top of the show, a really great story this morning by one of my colleagues at Just the News examining this incredible and growing pipeline between the United States intelligence community, the spook community, and Silicon Valley. More than 200 intelligence analysts, workers, experts in propaganda, and others have moved from their federal jobs in Washington to jobs in the big tech sector, many of them in the area where censorship has been occurring. Here to explain what he found and why it's important and what may be done about it is the great Justin News reporter, Nick Jeeves. Nick, great to have you back on the show. Thanks for the kind intro, John. It's great to be here. This is a very important story because it helps us understand a little bit more why when the government was making requests of big tech in 20 and 2021, 2022, they were having a receptive audience. In some cases, it was their own people that they were talking to, people that had left the intelligence committee, gone over to big tech, receiving those requests. Tell us what you found. This is a huge story, John, as you said. And what we did was we went as simple as this. We had a tip. We had a source uh, tip us off to that this was going on. This revolving door existed. And we went on LinkedIn and we did a simple employment filter to see who had worked at past Intel agencies that was now working at places like Facebook, Google, Twitter. And as you said, the results were alarming. Hundreds of accounts popped up. Even more alarming was the further we dug into it, some of these accounts pulled down their photos one account changed their last name to only be one initial. And every agency and big tech firm declined to comment. And ironically, the only statement we got was from the CIA. And 
and the CIA, right? And very interesting that the CIA of all people is the one agency that replies. And they, their reply was centered on that we don't operate within the United States. And that was it. Um, there were so many players in this, there were, but we could only focus on a few. So the ones we really looked into were one was Aaron Berman. He spent a decade and a half at the CIA before joining uh, Facebook's parent company, Meta. And uh, we also looked into someone uh, that was, her name was Lauren, uh, actually, excuse me, Nick Rossman. He was a former CIA analyst. He's the current senior manager of trust and safety at Google. These aren't people that started in big tech or they, you know, they have the background for something in social media. These are operatives within government agencies that are known for deception and for intel practices of information gathering. And they're in charge now of looking at your messages, looking at your posts and deciding what is going to be held up, what's going to stay there and what's going to get pulled down or shadow banned. And that should disturb every American. And the way this is constructed, as we've gone through it, Justin Newsom reported this with Greg Piper, myself, you, is that the game is to find, if you want to silence someone, you try to find a technical violation of the terms of service, and then you can censor or shadow ban or do other things to this. So that is what the FBI is doing. Hey, take a look at this one. We think you can argue that this person's post violates the terms of service. These are some of the people on the receiving end. It's really interesting. You found a video of Berman, the guy at Facebook, talking about there really are no rules, no agreement about what should be done or not done, and that that's kind of daunting to him, right? That he had so much power to determine what was harmful and not harmful. Surprising to hear someone talk so candidly about the power and also the lack of agreement about what should be done. Yeah, it's funny to see. It's You think of these people as faceless bureaucrats or people that are uh, sold on this propaganda or this way of thinking or this way of working entirely. And it turns out they're humans just like us. And some of them have a conscience and some of them do have Freudian slips where they admit that what they have in their hands is unprecedented power with no accountability, no explanations. And this is occurring more and more under Biden and it's uh, under his administration. And it's basically Berman's video. He was saying that there's very little agreement uh, on whether they should be leaving up more content or taking it down. So there seems to be even some internal divisions and strife within these ranks of, of these people that we've identified. And um, it's basically it's I think he said it made him uncomfortable and it makes other people uncomfortable to do this kind of work. And there's not not just him. There's former Intel veterans out there that have come out and expressed concern with the fact that this is happening that all these analysts are jumping ship. And some of them we even found to have political bents that were in public. They were easy to find. They were anti-Trump or they were supportive of Hillary Clinton. And uh, it's it should be disturbing. And, and more people, if they had a conscience, this would be out in the open and people would know about it. So let's hope it spreads. Yeah, well, we, that's why we are working to really give people an understanding because it's an entire ecosystem. There are nonprofits involved. There are federal agencies involved like CISA and the FBI. And then there are these individuals who've hopped between there through the revolving door and kind of connected the system. So private companies, private nonprofits, federal government. And the whole idea is to identify misinformation and disinformation, which, by the way, is in the eye of the beholder. Hunter Biden's laptop was disinformation, even though it was true, but it was portrayed that way for a while. What are some of the ideas that people are putting out there, whether it's in the Congress or former President Trump, to combat this, not only the revolving door, but the larger mentality that it's okay for the government to control speech and to cancel those opinions that the government doesn't like? 
Well, so far, uh, we've only heard a little bit from Congress because they're gearing up for their investigations. And one of those investigations will be into big tech and suppression of speech. So I have a feeling that uh, we're going to see more and more from congressional leaders as it comes out. But in our story in particular, we cited former President Trump, who weighed in with a video message about the deep state. And he called them tech tyrants. And his suggestion was to impose a seven year cooling off period before any employee of these agencies is allowed to take a job on a big tech platform. And that's in line with what in the past his you know, profile has been. He, he talked about lobbying bans and, and instituted one when he was president. Uh, so he's not afraid to do things that are unprecedented to deal with this, what I call insanity. And I mean, I'm surprised we're not hearing more, John. I'm surprised that we're, and I'm hoping that this will, the story will help launch more federal lawmakers into the spotlight to talk about it. Because if it's just former President Trump and you know, one or two lawmakers that bring it up, nothing's going to change. There are going to be more analysts working at, the, at Facebook and Twitter and Google than there ever have been before. So I'm hoping, and, and I think it was President, former President Trump's hope, that if he goes out there and says this, that it will trigger the new GOP majority to investigate. So for now, it's only a few people select folks. Some of them are still looking into the story. But uh, I would encourage your listeners to stand by and keep an eye on this because we're not done reporting. Yeah, there's so much about the mentality that's scary. And there's there's two dynamics when I've talked to people in the last month about this because we've done a lot of work on this and we've kind of shown how this whole ecosystem grew, who some of the players were. Some of them were people associated with Hillary Clinton, like Robbie Mucker, former campaign manager. And between the nonprofit and the government world and then the big tech world, this large ecosystem has grown. And what's most striking about it is many of the participants in this are participants whose own profession relies on free speech at its core, right? Big tech companies, news media companies who are alleged fact checkers, universities are all playing a role. And yet they were supposed to be the bastions of free speech. Now they become the bastions of intolerance and censorship. How do we reverse the mindset? How do we get people back to the notion that when our founding fathers made the First Amendment the First Amendment, they were making a big statement that free speech was the most important freedom in sustaining this constitutional republic? I think we point out, like you said, we start by showing that they are strangling free speech, that big tech and government have colluded, uh, it seems, and, and are working to take down certain things that should otherwise be left up and for the public to decide. But in my humble opinion, I remember in college, we were talking at a Supreme Court uh, class about free speech, and someone was shocked that I raised my hand. It was the only person to support what the professor was saying. It was something inflammatory. And a, a fellow student of mine said, how could you support that? You, you believe that? I said, no, no, I hate it. But the day they start regulating these people and they're allowed to do it with free reign, they're going to come for me next, and then they're going to come for your speech. So I think it's impressing upon people that just because your particular political party's holding the whip hand, don't think it's not going to change. And I think if we can impress upon people that escalation is usually not a good thing, it's only going to get worse. The right's going to censor the left now in response, like a pendulum, then the left's going to come back and slam the right. And Americans are going to get stuck in the middle uh, with, with their speech being taken away. And if they can take away your speech, my speech, and, and everyone else's, they can take away a lot more. They sure can. That's why free speech was so important to the founding fathers. And that's right. This is a slippery slope. Maybe liberals have an upper hand at this moment. But if the system is allowed to mature in advance, it will put all free speech at risk in the near future. And that's not exactly what our founding fathers wanted when they created this great country. Nick, how do people follow the great work you're doing on social media and just the news? 
Uh, I think the best way that you can follow us, uh, me at NGVISDC, that's N as in Nancy, then my last name, G-I-V-A-S-D-C. I'd also encourage uh, everyone to follow Just the News on Twitter as well, Instagram and uh, Facebook. But mostly, uh, just go to the website, justthenews.com. We have great stories that cycle in and out very often, and this is one of them. And we're going to continue to delve deeper and deeper the more they want to ignore it, because the more they want to ignore it, the more, more likely that there's something there. This is an outstanding piece of journalism you did this morning. I know what a lot of work you went into to tracking down these 200 folks, but great work. A lot of people talking about it. We're going to keep it on the front burner and make sure that everybody gets read up on what is one of the most important dynamics going on in our country, the move to restrain free speech. Nick Jeeves, great honor to have you on the show today. Great honor to work alongside you each day here at Just the News. Thanks so much for being with us today. Right back at you, John. I hope it moves the needle. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in today to Just the News and John Solomon Reports. We're so grateful for your support, your readership, your listenership, your viewership on the Just the News No Noise television show on Real America's Voice every night at 6 p.m. A great show today. Thank you to Jennifer Wright. Thank you to Steve Moore. Thank you to Nick Jeeves for giving us such insightful stories and analysis. That's why we do this show. Be sure to check out Just the News 24-7, we should have a new story on censorship coming out in the next 24 hours. I'm going to work on it with Nick. A scary story about how the government is plotting to use AI, future computer technology, to go about and find opinions it might want to censor. Facts, news, social media, AI, augmented reality Advanced intelligence is a really new area. A lot of people think it will be the future of the workforce and of the intelligence community. It has grave implications for our free speech, as the story that we're working on right now will reveal in the next couple of days. So keep an eye out for that. We'll be working on that with Nick Jeeves and I. All right. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Really grateful for your support. Be sure to check out justthenews.com or download the Just the News app at the iOS, Apple, and Android, Google Play stores. It's a great investment of time, a great way to read, listen, and watch Just the News content 24-7, three dimensions of news. All right, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, podcast from Just the News. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.